You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Yesterday's internet outages were due to errors in Amazon's S3 servers. Drydex has evolved to become more evasive. The Neckers botnet acquires a DDoS capability. Web cache deception attack techniques are described. Austrian authorities think they have a suspect in the attempted cyber attack on Vienna's airport. Palo Alto buys light cyber. Companies continue to grapple with GDPR compliance. Uncertainty about U.S. policy direction expected to drive an increase in foreign cyber espionage. And in the IoT, worries run from Terminators to teddy bears. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, March 1st, 2017. Is the Internet working for you again? Well, it is for us. Contrary to some initial alarmist screamers, yesterday's Internet outages weren't caused by an attack, but rather by problems in Amazon's S3 cloud storage service. Ars Technica calls the incident sputtering. The disruption is more properly understood as outages experienced by a large number of sites and apps dependent upon S3. The problem originated with errors in Amazon servers in the U.S. state of Virginia. Outages were widespread, but particularly severe on the North American East Coast. The incident is a reminder of how much infrastructure is in the hands of the private sector, especially in the U.S. Wired Magazine sees the outages as evidence that industry consolidation can compromise resilience and compares it to last October's Dyne outages. The Dyne case was, as it happens, an attack, distributed denial of service accomplished by the Mirai botnet, and yesterday's Amazon outages were, of course, a different matter, but in both cases the effects were widespread. IBM's X-Force looks at the venerable Drydex banking trojan and notices that it's been updated to incorporate a more evasive injection technique, atom bombing. The new edition of Drydex, version 4, is active in the wild against banks in the UK and is expected to spread rapidly. BitSight's Anubis Labs warns that the Necker's spam botnet has been upgraded with a distributed denial-of-service capability that could outstrip the capacity Mirai demonstrated. This hasn't, of course, happened yet, but the threat bears watching. Researchers at the EY Hactics Advanced Security Center in Tel Aviv have found an issue with caching servers used by major sites. Should a user access a non-existent resource, the servers sometimes cache incorrect page content. Such content can include personal information, including credentials, account balances, and so on. To exploit this flaw in what's being called a web cache deception attack, an attacker would induce a user to access a URL leading to a non-existent resource, whereupon the server would cache the page holding personal information. The attacker would then access the bad URL to get the cached page, and with it the user's personal data. 
PayPal quickly closed this vulnerability in its own services when the researchers notified it, but EY Hactics thinks the problem is likely to be widespread and generally unrecognized. Austrian authorities believe they have a suspect in the abortive cyber attack on Vienna's airport. They describe the suspect as Turkish, and maybe the person is, but fairness demands that we point out that he or she is living in Kentucky, and of course that he or she is also entitled to the presumption of innocence. In industry news, Palo Alto Networks has announced its acquisition of security firm LightCyber. LightCyber's automated behavioral analytics will be added to Palo Alto's next-generation security platform. Companies that collect data internationally, and that's essentially any business working online, have yet to come to grips with GDPR compliance. The European Union's General Data Protection Regulation will take full effect on May 25, 2018, a date that will surely arrive with haste. The problem of compliance is inherently complex, in this case even more so because of the jurisdictional lines crossed when one considers how, say, a U.S. firm must negotiate European requirements. And such standards and regulations can be widely influential, even when they're established by subnational governments. New York State's new cybersecurity regulations affecting banks take effect today, and those effects will by no means be confined to the Empire State. Uncertainty about the direction of U.S. policy is expected to prompt other countries to try to resolve those uncertainties through increased espionage, particularly those like Russia and Iran not particularly well disposed to the Americans. Influence operations are also expected to continue. Japan seems ready to sustain a significant information operations campaign if suspicions about snake wine are borne out. John Gross is Director of Threat Intelligence at Silence. When we started to do some of our initial investigations and stuff, it looked like it was an old CNAPT group called MenuPath. But as we delved, I guess, further into the malware, really didn't share the code similarities that you would expect. It seemed like a lot of work was done to attempt to obscure attribution, which really... I personally haven't seen any other, I guess, Chinese APT operators attempt to do that ever. So if it is the Chinese, it would, it would be uh, out of form for them. So, and I can just say, you know, the, the things that we saw them doing, right, in, in addition to using, you know, hosting providers that accept Bitcoin, you know, or anonymous, you know, payment services, you know, they signed a large majority of the malware samples that we saw at least early on with the uh, stolen hacking team code signing certificate, which to us really didn't make any sense, right? Because that's, that's going to be an instant red flag. And, you know, it, it, you would really derive no benefit from that other than, you know, sending somebody on a, on a potential goose chase or making someone question why, why in fact you did that. This targeting was very clearly focused solely on Japanese interests, right? So Japanese commercial government and research interests. And, you know, the, uh, I guess the, the culmination of lots of little things led us to start questioning whether or not this was actually Chinese APT. I mean, it just didn't really add up, especially with you know what from a what from a research perspective should have been a, a 
clearly cut and dried case. And what we found was that a lot of the infrastructure to us, it at least seemed like it was inactive, right? So it's going to potentially be spun up in the future and or, you know, it's just currently being used now and we're only seeing what we're seeing. And, uh, you know, as with anything related to cyber, you you only know what you know. So, I mean, in in this case, you know, and judging from the information that we had, it was very clear that someone was attempting to, you know, obfuscate attribution. That's John Gross. He's director of threat intelligence at Silence. The U.S. Congress is currently trying to think through when a cyber attack would constitute an act of war and what might be done in retaliation. Congress and the administration are required by legislation passed last year to arrive at some clarity on the issue. It's very much a work in progress. And finally, there's much worry in the press at midweek over the Internet of Things and its security, particularly in the world of robots, where the U.S. Army and others think they discern a revolution in warfare comparable to the Blitzkrieg of the late 1930s. Five Terminator movies have taught us nothing, moans CSO Online as they report their inquiry into how robot manufacturers seem to be falling short of Asimov's laws of robotics. But scary stories about the connected home, also with robots, are also being retailed. As Spiral Toys works with its customers and gets ready to file the breach reports required under California law, see the local regulation angle again, their connected cloud pets are still creeping out security journalists. Until things are sorted out, remember, the teddy bears may have a big surprise for you, moms and dads. If a stuffed animal says in its best Austrian-accented English... I'll be back. Grab your bug-out bags, head for the hills. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero-trust-ai. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joining me is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, I want to take our audience through some of the key concepts surrounding encryption, things like plain text, ciphertext, and key encryption. What can you tell us about that? 
Well, there are two sorts of encryption schemes. There's private key encryption and public key encryption. In a private key encryption scheme, uh, it's a mechanism that allows two users who have shared some secret information called a key in advance to then use that key to communicate securely. And the way that works is that these two users have shared their key in advance. One user who wants to send the information will take their message called a plain text, encrypt it using the key to get some ciphertext, transmit that ciphertext over a public channel to the other party at the other end, uh, and they can then decrypt that ciphertext using the key that they've shared with the other party and recover the original message. And how does that differ from public key encryption? Public key encryption is really amazing. Public key encryption is something that was not even possible until the late 1970s, early 1980s. And what that allows is for two parties to have a secure communication channel without sharing any information in advance, without sharing the secret key. And the way it works is that you have one party generating a matched pair of keys, one being a public key and one being a so-called private key. The private key is kept secret by that individual, and the public key can be broadcast to the world, sent over a public communication channel to anybody else who wants to communicate with that first individual. Anybody with the public key can then encrypt, take the plain text as before, encrypt it to get a ciphertext that they transmit to the first party, and they can then decrypt that using their private key to recover the original message. And this is really amazing. It kind of blows my mind that it's even possible because it means that you can have two people standing at opposite ends of a room communicating back and forth with everybody else in the room listening to everything they're saying and still not being able to figure out what message is being transmitted. Now, it's my understanding that there's been developments related to this with quantum computing. What can you tell us about that? People are very concerned about the advent of quantum computers. And the reason for that is that all the current public key encryption algorithms that are currently used are vulnerable in case a quantum computer is ever developed. So what that means is that if we have quantum computers becoming a reality within the next 20 years or so, all of the encrypted communications currently on the Internet will be vulnerable. Thankfully, however, our quantum computers are not believed to uh, impact private key encryption as severely. They may allow an attacker to uh, speed up the time required to brute force a key, but they don't fundamentally weaken the algorithms the way they do in the public key case. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge. And they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. 